I do want to encourage you this morning along the same lines of our time together this weekend. And my intention in our time right now is to encourage you by showing you a miserable human being. I want to do that again tonight. I want to talk to parents tonight, and I don't want to show you the ideal parent because sometimes it's discouraging for us to be shown the ideal example and then carry within us the expectation to live up to that ideal. So every now and again, I like to get into Scripture and show you what miserable, wretched people did wrong and just say, don't do that. And I'm encouraged because it's easier for me to try not to do some of these things than it is for me to try to be Jesus Christ in every situation, which is what we'll talk about next hour. But right now, I'd love for you to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We are all in relationships. No man liveth, the Bible says, and no man dieth unto himself. All of us have a circle of influence. In fact, you are experiencing some of that relational influence here and now as we gather together. Now, I know that I am speaking to children who are in relationship to parents and parents in relationship to children and wives in relationship to husbands and grandparents and maybe even cousins and uncles and aunts, but certainly brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot read the New Testament and come away with any other scriptural understanding than the church is a family. Family language is used all through the Bible, which means this is as relational as we can possibly be. And what I want to do this morning in our time together is teach you how to ruin a relationship. How many of you need help with that? You need help. To ruin a relationship, I'm going to help you understand how you can decimate your children, how you can ruin your marriage, and how you can destroy fellowship right here in your local church. Now, I'm going to teach you that with the hope and the aim that you never do any of these things. But as we get to 1 Samuel chapter 18, we are jumping into the midst of a Bible story. David and Saul, a strained and strange relationship to say the very least. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'll begin reading there in verse 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and get this phrase, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, what we have just witnessed, in my estimation, is the ideal friendship between David and Jonathan. 
What we sense in there is a kindred faith. What we become aware of is extreme loyalty. And Jonathan will be an exhorter and an encourager of David. Those are high and lofty ideals. And I could tell you, we must have friendship based on kindred faith. And we must be loyal to each other. And we really have to encourage each other and put ourselves out. But that's hard. What I want to focus in on is Saul and David in those verses and this embryonic stage of their relationship. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we just read this phrase, David behaved himself wisely, which means any of the fallout that we are about to read, relationally speaking, between Saul and David is not David's fault. David is not to be blamed for this. In verse 14, we'll read it again. And David behaved himself wisely and all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Four times in this chapter, we are told that David behaved himself wisely. He was guarding his lips, and he was teachable at every level. Mind you, this is at the conclusion of an amazing victory for David. And he's teachable, and he's guarding his lips. He is behaving himself wisely. He is honoring the Lord, no doubt about it. And Saul will wreck this relationship. Saul is going to teach us how to destroy a relationship. Regardless of what level that relationship is, we'll focus on this. And I will say this, don't do this. And what we're going to watch is what I would call a rising staircase of emotion. A rising staircase of bitterness and resentment that ends in complete destruction. Now keep in mind, David has done nothing to deserve the treatment that he will get from Saul. But I want you to notice this in 1 Samuel 18. Let's jump to verse 8. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And get this, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. That's not a good thing. That is Saul already beginning to dislike David, and we were just told the motivation behind this dislike. The motivation behind this distrust is at its core as ugly as human emotion can be. It is nothing more than envy and jealousy. It is egregious behavior by a man who should know better by a man who is the king and should behave in a regal fashion. And I'll say this, if you want to destroy your relationships, here are the ingredients. Ingredient number one, be selfish. Be selfish. Let me reword that maybe a little bit. Make sure your relationship with others is based on what the other person can do for you and only that. That's what Saul was doing. Note what we read back just a little bit in these verses. And we read, Saul took David that day and would let him go no more 
home to his father's house. Why was Saul so concerned about having David in his presence? Well, I'll tell you why. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read, Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. David served Saul. And Saul knew that he wanted David there. Why did he want David there? David played the harp when the evil spirit came upon Saul. And the Bible tells us when David played the harp, Saul was refreshed and was well. How many of us like to be in a relationship where the other person, every time they leave, we think to ourselves, I am refreshed and I am well. Now, I'll be honest, there are very few of those relationships in this world. But for Saul, when David played his harp, he knew, I am refreshed and I am well. And he sent to his dad and said, hey, I want David with me. And we just read in chapter 18 this, and he would not let David go anymore to his father's house. You are now one of my servants. Make certain that your relationship with other people is always one-sided. Build every relationship that you have and surround yourself only with people that do for you. And above all, be certain that you never serve other people. Be certain that you never give of yourself. Now, I know people could isolate this And they could send it out, and somebody could tweet it and say, this guy said, make sure that you are selfish in every one of your relationships. Hopefully you don't pervert the context of the message. I tell our church all the time, turn the cameras off. This is my opinion. Don't don't say I said this. Take this for what it's worth. Don't say this guy came in and said, be selfish and don't serve others. Though I did say that. I just don't mean that, but I do mean it. You understand what I'm saying? Be selfish. What was Saul giving to David? Nothing. What was David giving to Saul? Everything. Not only should you be selfish if you want to destroy your relationships, be possessive. Be really possessive. I read this just a moment ago that Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Let me reword that as well to expand, to help us just a little bit. Make sure in every relationship you are in, the other person is bound or tied down to your personal plans and objectives. I could expand that just a little bit. Make sure you only go to a church that does everything exactly like you want it to be, and if there's even one person in there that you kind of don't like, go away. Be possessive. That's a certain and sure way to destroy every relationship you are in. Everything is fine between Saul and David in this story until David's service to God begins to outweigh David's usefulness to Saul. And when you are no longer useful to guys like Saul, the trouble will begin. 
The trouble that up to this point is only internalized is about to round a corner and become external. Up to this point, we are dealing with internal settings in Saul's heart. He is a selfish individual. Saul was an insecure man. For his size and his stature and his position, he was exceedingly insecure. And what we know about him is this. His relationship with David was founded on selfishness. You do for me. You refresh me. You make me well. I do nothing for you. He was very possessive because of that. You are tied to my agenda. You will submit to my will. We're not going to talk about what you're doing. We're not going to talk about what you want. This is you serving me. And then they sing the song. And Saul does not like the song that was sung. And I want you to realize step number three. Be dominated by jealousy. Be dominated by jealousy. Envy is wanting what someone else has. Jealousy is grasping what you already have. Envy is ugly. Envy is me walking out and wanting your car. You have it, I want it, and it boils over in me. I want your car. Jealousy is me not wanting anyone else to have my car. Jealousy is not giving you a ride, not letting you near it, not letting you scratch it, ding it, sniff it, look at it. That's mine. That is an ugly attitude, and it is not Christ-like. And when I say cultivate jealousy... That's what I'm talking about. This position, this attention is mine. And now you are singing this song and you are ascribing more prominence to David than you are me. I am now boiling on the inside. Cultivate that. If you want to destroy your marriage, if you want to run your kids off the road, if you want to wreck this church, cultivate that. Growing churches should not be territorial. Listen, this is God's church, right? And sometimes new people come in, and then all of a sudden they sing, or they play, or they (gasps) sit in our seat, park in our parking place, and we think to ourselves, do you know that I'm a legacy member here? I don't know who you think you are coming in. You may sit on the other side, but not this side. You may sing, but don't think for a second we're going to acknowledge that you did a good job because I'm really the only one that does a good job. Don't come into my class and all of a sudden tell a joke that people laugh at because if I sense they're laughing at you and ascribing more prominence to you than they are to me, I am a little insecure. I hate that. Why don't you go to that other church down the road? I think you'd like it there better. Now, I do want to say that pastorally to some people, but not all the people. Cultivate jealousy. We as parents can do this with our kids. We as wives can do this to our husbands, and we as husbands can do this to our wives. A husband can become so possessive that he won't let a dent or a nick or a scratch in his schedule. People are not our slaves. Saul begins to tighten his grip on what he already has. Notice this in verse 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. 
with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. This is not the first time that Saul has been met like this. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And here the internal settings become an emotion which always results in external activity. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Whenever we are dominated by controlling, selfish, possessive emotions, we tend to live in another universe. We are hyperbolic. It's the children of Israel in the wilderness looking at Saul and saying, or or Moses, I, I have some understanding of the Bible, some. Look at Moses and say, I cannot believe you've brought us out here into the wilderness to die. There weren't enough graves in Egypt, so you've brought us out here to die. If I were Moses, I would look at them and say, yeah, that was my plan. You got me. The whole ten plagues set up and the parting of the Red Sea, I had all of that worked out just to bury you in the desert. Come on, man. They get to the place where they say, ah, life was better in Egypt. What? All you did when you were in Egypt was groan and complain about your taskmasters. And now that we're here, you're saying life was better in Egypt. And it always blows my mind because they say we were there and there were leeks and garlics and onions. That's, that's what we long for. Who longs for that? You lose sight of reality and you lose perspective when you are dominated by these sour emotions. And David has simply done what Saul should have done, which is take care of the Philistine. And David has done with the power of God what Saul's army should have done, which was chase the Philistines. And David did not do it because he wanted to be known or he wanted to be king. By his own testament, it was so that all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven who is alive. And Saul says, he gets a little attention. What's next? He gets the whole kingdom? That attitude stinks. It's like dead fish. I guess I don't matter anymore. I guess nobody even knows my name. This guy comes in. He does one thing, everybody thanks him, what am I? Chopped liver? When you have that mentality, you are on the way to wrecking your relationships. Good job by you. It's just fact that if we ever get out of focus with God's position in heaven, sooner or later we're going to get out of focus with our position here on earth. Hey, Saul, the kingdom's not yours anyways. Why are you acting like you own the kingdom? If God saw fit to give David the kingdom, submit to God's will. It's sovereign and it's right. It's not about you. I think as long as I have pastored that I have found that is one of the key integers to happiness in life, to settle here and now. It's not about you. Now, that's hard to get to, but it's not about you. Be selfish. Be possessive. Cultivate jealousy. And then here's a real secret. I'm telling you, this might be the apex of ruining your relationships. Whatever you do, don't restrain yourself. Don't restrain yourself. In other words, say what you feel, when you feel it, without worrying about how anyone else feels or how it sounds or how they receive it. Just don't restrain yourself. If you feel it, say it. You ever been around an opinionated person? Yes. 
you're listening to me, so I'm going to answer for you. Yes, you've been around an opinionated person. You've been around a person who literally finds the negative in every single situation. Yes, you go to a Baptist church. You've been around them. It's, it's cold in here. Oh, we just adjusted the thermostat. It's hot in here. I don't like this side, the way the light comes in. But the other side, I don't like how the light comes in there. Maybe just sit in your car. I don't like my car, actually. It doesn't get great gas mileage. Well, go home. Not happy there. I like the place we were in before. Now, it's just not the same. I, would, I, I wish we were at that stage of life. Oh, I wish we could just speed it up and get to the next stage of life. Just be controlled by your emotions. And get this. No matter what, don't ever restrain them. Just say what you feel when you feel it. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about how they take it. Don't worry about what they're going through. You just say what you need to say. At this point, Saul is saying whatever he wants to say. He is roaring all over the house. Note what happens in verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin. For he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And then this stuns me. It either speaks of David's submission to the will of God or David's slow learning. David avoided out of his presence twice. That means on two separate occasions, Saul tried to stick David to the wall with a javelin. How many of you show back up at church if that person does that to you? You know, last night we had a little bit of a spat, and uh, my wife tried to stab me uh, violently, and I'm um, going to give it another go this morning, see what mood she's in, just, just test the waters. Saul, with no regard for David, who up to this point has done nothing but behave himself wisely, guard his lips, honor the Lord with his actions. David is not out to get Saul. Saul is out to get David. And he refuses to restrain himself to the point he whips a javelin at the man twice trying to kill him. Don't restrain yourself. If you feel it, say it. Listen, you are just wired that way. I get it. You know, we all lose our temper now and again. Yeah, but you can't take those words back. And sometimes we say things and we excuse ourselves. Well, the home that I grew up in, that's just how we talk to each other. Well, okay, but does that honor Jesus? Well, you know, you can't change your wiring. (laughs) Except at salvation, we become new creatures. Maybe we can. Start over in submission to the Spirit. When you want to wreck your marriage, guys, just say how you feel, when you feel it without any regard for how she takes it, receives it, or how she feels. Want to wreck your kids and push them in a ditch? Blow up. Make sure you have no restraint on your tongue, and when your emotions rise up, give them vent. You'll wreck every relationship that you have. I got a good step here. Lie to yourself. Lie to yourself. It's not your fault that every relationship you're in is poisoned. No, no. It's not your fault that this is your 17th church in 18 years. I mean, those other pastors were clowns. Those other operations were foolish. It's not your fault. Lie to yourself. I get struck. I almost find humor in it, and I do think that there is humor in the Bible. I want to point to something here. Look at verse 12 here. Saul was afraid of David. 
And, and again, that's, that's Saul's insecurity because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul, and he knew it. And rather than acquiesce to the will of God, he fights against it. Every battle that we have with other people ultimately is a battle against our submission to God's will. Every single one of them. Therefore, Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was more afraid of him. One thing that you can do, this is just a side note, is avoid fixing it. If that person is your problem, just avoid them. That's what Saul did. I don't like that guy. Hey, how about you go out on the battlefield and get out of the palace? I don't want you here. Rather than address, he knew, right, that the Lord was departed from him. He was aware that the Lord was on David. And rather than confess, repent, and acquiesce and pursue the will of God for David, he bucks it and fights it and tries to avoid confrontation. But, but here's the real key. Lie to yourself. How many times did Saul try to stick David to the wall with a javelin that we know of within Scripture? How many? Right, we've got two. We know that David has escaped out of his presence twice. Turn over just a couple of pages here to chapter 20, and I want you to note something that I think is funny. All right, chapter 20, dinner time, and let's look at verse 24. So David hid himself in a field. Now, let's just stop. I'm not, I, I don't want to treat you like children. I just want to reset the context. Why might David be hiding himself in a field? Anyone? So, yeah, he's, he's trying to stay alive. A noble and valiant effort. Saul, on the other hand, the Bible says here in verse 24, when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. Okay, so David's hiding in a field. Saul is sitting down in his opulent banquet hall. He's getting ready to eat. Verse 25. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. So he is in the throne. He's in the seat of honor. Now note the table begins to fill in around Saul. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. The audacity of David not to show up at this dinner. And note this, nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, This blows my mind. And if you think the scripture is dead and ancient, this is unbelievably vivid inner monologue. We're getting inner monologue. Saul thought something hath befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Saul is sitting at dinner, and as he looks around the table, he notes David's chair is empty. And he thinks to himself, I know why David didn't show up for dinner. He's not ceremonially clean right now. Or, or you tried to throw a javelin at him twice. Maybe that's why he's not at dinner. No, no. He understands that's just how I do things. He's not here because he's ceremonially unclean. (laughs) Has nothing to do with me trying to pin him to the wall. You're crazy. That's... He knows I blow up and then I get back to normal. That's not why he's here. Listen, it goes on. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore 
cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today. Hey, Jonathan, how come your friend's not coming over to dinner? Dad, you're, you're a wild, murderous beast. And uh, even Abner's not sitting real comfortable. And to be honest, I, I, I kind of want to eat in the other room too. I, I don't want to be here, Dad, but I think I'm still faster than you. But you might notice Abner did slide your javelins away from the table so that we could all eat in peace. You want to destroy your relationships? Lie to yourself. It's not you. It's them. It's not. Never, ever let them off the hook. Make sure you always let yourself off the hook. That will poison every relationship you're in. It is your wife's fault that she doesn't understand. That's just how you're wired. It is your kid's fault. After all, they should give you grace. It is your pastor. It is the other people. I mean, honestly, how do they think you should respond? It's them. It's not you. You want to poison every relationship, family, or church? Just lie to yourself. Avoid confrontation. Don't ever try to fix it. Just keep lying to yourself. And then this, I think maybe is the last step. Just harbor hatred. Harbor hatred. Go real public with it. Criticize. Criticize the other person who was once your friend. Tell lies. Make sure you publicly criticize them because what you can't have is other people think well of somebody that you don't think well of. So make sure you criticize. Diminish other people's view of that person too. Don't let them have anything. You should really work on that. Have you ever been around someone who's being eaten alive by a grudge? If you have ever been around somebody who's been eaten alive by a grudge, every time you're around them, that's what they talk about. They always talk about that other person. I find that with pastors. It's a sad thing. Hey, you know this guy over there. Do you want someone to buy the phone ring? I, I don't know him. Well, uh, let me tell you about him. All right, well, what you just told me makes me think I don't like him. Well, then mission accomplished. Notice verse Samuel 22, just over another couple. When Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, which he's not really good with apparently, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captives of hundreds? And in verse 8, All of you have conspired against me. There is none of you that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. There is none of you that is sorry for me. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait. Oh, poor Saul. You hear how self-centered he is? All of you have conspired against me. Not one of you has been sorry for me. It is an egregious display of carnal behavior. And what he is doing is he has cultivated this hatred It has bred resentment and bitterness. And again, we see the hyperbolic nature. Every one of you has conspired against me. All of you hate. No one feels sorry for me. The person who lives like this is an extremely lonely individual. Because they damn every relationship they're in. And it's not 
other people's fault. It's not. The fact is, you have been selfish. You have been possessive. You have to have within every relationship, gleaning something from that other person. Thank the Lord Jesus didn't do that to us. You must make sure that everyone adheres to every idiosyncratic preferential thought you have. Every pixel in the picture has to be aligned with your view. Be real possessive. Make certain that at every moment in time, you cultivate that jealousy and you just pin everybody down. Don't give away anything of yourself. You just make sure everybody knows who's in charge. Oh, Vent every time you need to. Just say it. Don't worry about it. God has gifted you with a special insight. Your opinion truly does matter to everyone in the world. Make sure you maintain that. Don't worry about what they're doing or going through or how they even receive it. You feel it, vent it. And then whatever you do, avoid confrontation and lie to yourself. It's not you. That guy didn't come to dinner not because you tried to kill him twice. Just not ceremonially clean. That's why he's not here. You're fine. Just stay on course. And then make sure that anger and resentment breeds bitterness. Make certain that you have a chip on your shoulder for every interaction. One old preacher said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. To be a Christ-like friend, which is what we're going to tackle in the next hour, to be a Christ-like friend is hard. It's real easy to do this because what we've just studied out is our natural default setting. It started in the garden with blame and argument, and we have that curse of sin. We are wretched individuals. Woe is us. We are bound in this body of death. And what we have to do is be led by the Spirit. But I have just given you some real important ingredients. You want to wreck your marriage? Hurt your kids? Hurt your parents? Destroy this church? It's pretty clear. It can be done pretty quickly. And what a shame when it happens. That's not Christian behavior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simple truth of your word and how we can walk through these stories and apply these principles and know your heart and mind. I pray that you'd help us to be Christ-like, to submit our wills. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.